camera rolling. That was good. <laughs> we, we went from having, you know, what was it? What was her name? Susan. Susan to a countdown, which I don't know how I feel about it. You know, you can add, there's a whole thing in here that we haven't played with yet. Maybe we can play with sometime when we have free time, but you can like do like sound effects and like audio. Um, maybe there's a way for us to like record Susan's voice and then like overlay her. <laughs> we miss Susan. We miss Susan. Yeah. Every time John gets off one of his calls with his mentor, they use, they use Zoom and I'm always like, thanks, Susan. <laughs> Get off. It's like, who's Susan? What the hell? It's fine. He knows who Susan is. I've told him. Um, <laughs> she, we had a secretary. We, we had a downsize. It's fine. We've all yeah. been affected by this economy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another fantastic episode of Take a Killer to Brunch. I am one of your co-hosts, Darcy. And I am Shannon. We are super happy to have all of you guys here. Um, we are going to be kicking off this episode. It is a two-parter, so we're really excited to jump into it. Um, I don't really have any announcements. don't think we have any announcements. Mm -hmm. Nope. Okay. Nope. So with all of that said, um, we are going to be covering uh, the case of Jeffrey Dahmer, also known as the Milwaukee Cannibal. Um, since it is still Gemini season, we are moving into this one. So this one will be, I think I already said it's a two-parter. It's a two-parter. Um, so yeah. Um, I'm excited. So far as, yeah, I haven't, oh my God. It's weird. Who was it? I was like, yesterday, I was like, oh, I'm covering Jeffrey Dahmer this week. And I went onto Instagram and the person that popped up was someone talking about like Jeffrey Dahmer. And I was like, oh my gosh, hello. Yeah. Well, technology is listening to us listening. all the time. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. But it only shows me things that I don't want to see sometimes. Like, listen, I have to live with the ad. That's fine. But show me ads I want to see. I don't want to see these other ads. It's fine. Right. Cool. So, um, doo -doo -doo. this week we'll be covering um, a bit of an intro about him and his childhood. And then in next week's episode, we will cover his actual murders and capture. So yeah. stay tuned for that. Well, so when it comes to Jeffrey Dahmer. Like... Go ahead. I was like, I think it's actually kind of cool that, you know, we still can cover him. Because, I mean, obviously some people are gonna be like, ah, oh, another, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer or whatever. But what people don't understand is, like, when you do research and stuff like that, you know, you may have seen the whole Netflix series or you may have seen whatever, which that covers some things. But, like, when you do a lot of research, you can find out so much more. And just, you know, getting our perspectives and, like, hearing other people's perspectives and comparing and everything. So I'm super excited. <laughs> With that said, when it comes to Jeffrey Dahmer, what do you think of or what do you know? Anything like that? Um, obviously, I did, you know, watch the whole Netflix series that they had, the little mini series. Um, we know that he murdered a bunch of people and, like, dismembered them, kept them in his apartment, put them in those, like, nasty tubs, ate them, you know, like, the whole had heads in his freezer, that kind of thing. But I know they touched a little bit on his childhood in the series, but really getting into his family life at home, which I know is interesting and in like it plays a huge part in, you know, how he turned out the way he did. Absolutely. And 
maybe we'll do like a little mini thing discussion, but there's parts of that series. I loved it, by the way. Maybe since like I love that actor, I'm totally blanking on his name right now, but I love him as an actor. Oh, yeah. Um, there's things that they fabricated. Like there's obviously, I mean, obviously they did it for television, but there's things in there that weren't true. And there are things that they kind of like moved around just for story plot, which I, I get, but I'm like, oh, interesting that they did it that way. It was interesting to see something that I knew about really well. And then to be able to see where it was different, because we see all the time, like videos and movies and shows that are based on true events. And you don't really know which parts have been changed to fit plot. And it was really weird to like, kind of see it play out as I watched each episode. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. So, so after we record um, these episodes, you're going to have to go rewatch the series and then you can see them. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get into this, because it is a two-parter, I'm just going to go ahead and cite my sources. Um, The websites I used were murderpedia and biography.com. I did watch the Dahmer on Dahmer, a serial killer speaks documentary i don't remember if it was on netflix or prime but you can literally just like search it'll pop up um i also checked out the book my friend Dahmer, which is a cool um like comic book based story about this guy who went to high school with jeffrey Dahmer, and he like made a giant comic book out of it i have a i have a copy of that book uh it's really cool and a totally different perspective i also listened to the serial killers podcast true crime all the time and morbid all fantastic podcasts check them out if you haven't already and we'll go ahead and jump right into it so jeffrey Dahmer. um He's a Gemini in Year of the Rat, which puts him in the same year as Ed Kemper. So him and Ed Kemper are both years of the rat. He was born May 21st in 1960 in West Allis, Wisconsin to Joyce and Lionel Dahmer. Um, he is the eldest of his siblings. He, same as Edmund Kemper, had a very high IQ of 145. And he is notoriously known, not for his intelligence, but for murdering 17 people. Um, and he would go to murder people from 1978 all the way through 1991. So he kills for quite a long time. And yes, he's known as creating zombies. He like tried to create a zombie is kind of what everybody um, knows about him. Of all of his victims, three actually got away. So if we total in all of that, that's about 20 people, unless I included No, he killed 17 people. So we have Ronald Flowers. So Jeffrey stopped to quote unquote help when he saw Ronald on the side of the road due to car troubles. Um, He brought him back to his grandmother's house, which is where he was living at the time, where he drugged his coffee. Uh, Ronald was already uncomfortable being at Jeff's um, house, but Jeff had insisted that they have a cup of coffee together. And he was like, okay. Um, because the guy was helping him, it was like the middle of the night. So he just kind of went along with it. He noticed that when he got there, that he was speaking to his grandmother in the other room, but he was addressing, um, he was telling her that he came home, uh, and wasn't mentioning that there was anybody with him. So he was like, grandma, go back to bed. Like there's, there's, I mean, I just came home and he's kind of like, okay, he's not telling this lady that. He has a guest with him. So Ronald took it upon himself very smartly to say, like, I'm here. Like, hello, ma'am. Like, he's helping me with my car, which obviously Dahmer didn't appreciate. 
Um, and so his grandmother was like, what, why is there somebody here? Like this actually saved his life because we just said that Dahmer drugged his coffee. He ends up passing out and his grandmother's like coming down the stairs, like what is wrong with him? What's going on? And eventually he does wake up. So he wakes up in a hospital bed. He wakes up to um, the police saying that they had found him passed out in his car and he was all, and his underwear was inside out. So we don't really know like what Dahmer did, if Dahmer did anything, but because he was like, hi, ma'am, like I'm in your home. It ultimately ended up saving his life because he couldn't continue on with what he was doing because she wanted this guy out of her home. Um, so that was Ronald. So he was able to survive Dahmer. The next person is um, Jason. Oh, I'm totally going to say his name wrong. I said it so good before. Uh, I think it's Keeson, uh, Um, He was 13 years old and he was drugged, molested. He, he does escape miraculously. Um, he escapes, he goes back to his family home. I think he like staggers up the stairs, but his brother, um, is actually one of Dahmer's victims. That's why his case is so crazy because they both at separate times in life run into Dahmer and had no idea. So he actually is able to escape. He runs back home. His parents freak out and Jeffrey is arrested and charged with sexual assaults um, and enticing a child for immoral purposes, whatever that means. <laughs> um, you'd think that he would get some major jail time for that. And ultimately you think that that would be his unraveling, but it's not. He actually only spends one week in jail and then he's released on bail. Oh, you gotta love the justice yeah. system. Yeah, you can imagine his parents weren't that happy about it. Um, so his last victim, and ultimately the victim that would be Jeff's undoing, is Tracy Edwards. Um, people tend to know his name. He was involved with the trial heavily. He was really the catalyst to Jeffrey's capture, um, and big partly on his conviction as well. So Tracy Edwards was 32. Um, same kind of MO. He was drugged. He was handcuffed. Um, he was able to get loose from the handcuffs. Him and Jeffrey get into a giant fight and, um, Jeffrey charges at him with a knife and he's able to overpower him and knock him to the ground. And he runs out. He's butt naked. He flees the apartment. He flags down a cop car. Um, and he's like, yo, like, help me, help me, help me. And so the police think he's just like, high or drunk and he's like no this dude was trying to kill me like you need to come help me and they couldn't they their handcuff keys wouldn't unlock the handcuff on his hand so somehow the police convince him to go back with them to jeffrey's apartment to get the handcuff key which obviously he's like hell no i don't want to go back there but he does and even though, like, I agree, I wouldn't want to do that either. It's because they go back together that this is what it enables them to search his apartment and ultimately find all of this paraphernalia and proof that he's been killing people. And so they're able to um, arrest him. Yes. So in the series, like we all know, I think this is even like the first episode or something like that about um, the Dahmer series. Is it accurate in that, like the whole, like he took photos and all that stuff? Like, was that something that was true? Or was that something more fabricated? No, that's all true. Um, it's funny that you bring that up because I'm actually about to tell you everything they found in his apartment. Okay, continue. 
In his apartment, they discovered photos of dismembered boys and men. So he would take pictures of these to keep for as his trophies. Um, there was a head on the floor. There were three bags containing a heart, random flesh, and some muscle. There were three heads in the freezer, um, torso and a bag of flesh and organs. So three heads, a torso, a bag of flesh and organs in the freezer. There was two bleached skulls in a cupboard. There was a kettle that had two hands, a penis, and testicles in it. There were three skulls in a filing cabinet. The wardrobe had a complete skeleton, uh, dried human scalp, and more genitals inside of it. Uh, there were two skulls found in a box. There were three torsos at various stages of decomposition also discovered um, around the apartment. The smell, though. I can only imagine the smell. Well, that was that's a big part of this case as well, as people are like, the stench, the stench. And they're like, oh, there was a stench. <laughs> Trust me, there was a stench. And it's just, it's, an, it's amazing to me to see how he evolved to adapt to this and the lies that he just spewed that people just bought and like, whatever. Yeah. So his methods of killing, his MO, if you haven't kind of picked up already, is he would drug people. Um, he also would strangle people to death. He used acid to kill people. Um, and as you can probably tell, he kept the skulls of his victims. Um, one of the things he was trying to do was build some kind of shrine to a shrine to like to remember his victims in a way to celebrate their life. Um, he was trying to build this weird shrine on like his entertainment stand or whatever. So that's kind of what he was trying to build with a lot of these bones, um, but didn't get to complete it. So. We're about to jump into his childhood. Any questions or thoughts so far? Uh, no, I mean, it's obviously very brutal. And I didn't realize that that's the amount that was in his apartment. Like, I think for a lot of people, that's quite shocking. Yeah, they really downplay it a lot. Or people just really, like, hyper-focus on, like, you really hear about the, the skulls in the freezer, the heads in the freezer, like you hear about the skull that they found for this shrine and you hear about the heads in the, in the fridge, but you don't really, I didn't really know about all this other stuff. And I was like, holy crap. So yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, it sounds like he virtually like kept at least quite a bit of things from every single victim then, which that's a lot. If you think about like 17. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dude was mm -hmm. probably running out of space in that apartment. That's why he's like cupboards. Uh, oh wardrobe, uh, <laughs> fucking on the floor, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they also, he also had a barrel, um, which if you, one of the most famous photos of his, the house, like his apartment being basically taken into evidence was this giant blue barrel that they were rolling out of his apartment. It was just a vat of acid that he would put the bodies in to break them down. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to touch on all of that again in next week's episode. So for now, we're going to talk about his childhood. So before uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was the Milwaukee cannibal, he was just Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, so his mother, Joyce, while she was pregnant with Jeff, uh, she was taking 27 pills a day to deal with her mental illness, uh, which we do not know what it is. So from a medical standpoint, and also knowing that this was, he, he was born in 1960. So she was pregnant, obviously in 1959 with him and your medical knowledge, 27 pills a day. What are you thinking? I can't even imagine. I mean, that's literally 
probably every single psychiatric medication you could possibly take. And then probably just some other random stuff that she just was like, fuck it. Cause I don't even mm-hmm. like 27. Um, like that, that's, I, that's more than most, like the number of psychiatric meds I know. Yeah. So we have no idea what she was taking, what she was being treated for. It's heavily disputed when you get to the question, is evil born or made, right? A lot of people point to her pregnancy with Jeff as a giant contributing factor of how he turned out later in life. So that is something that is brought up a lot in the discussion of Jeffrey Dahmer. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Um, His father... Lionel says that Joyce would rarely touch Jeff. So after Jeff was born, Joyce would rarely touch him unless it was either changing his diaper or posing for photos. So we don't know if that's some postpartum symptom showing. We don't know. Is like, did Joyce really not want children? Did Joyce, you know, we don't really know like what was going through her mind during that time. But if she was heavily dedicated during Jeff, I don't think her condition probably got better after he was born, in my opinion. Right. To make matters worse, when Jeff was four years old, he had a double hernia surgery at four, which is traumatic in itself for a four-year-old. Um, It's after the surgery that Jeff's personality really changes. They said he used to be a very outgoing child. He used to like love to run around and like play and interact with other people. But after the surgery, he became really reserved and very introverted. Um, And he didn't really, he really wasn't like the same Jeff that they knew before the surgery. Um, His parents were fighting all of the time. So we have we're starting to have like an unstable household on both fronts now, um, not getting any affection from our mother, um, growing up, probably feeling like she hates you, right? Like, yeah, feeling like you maybe have ruined her life. You just underwent a very traumatic surgery that you don't really know anything about. And they're fighting all the time. And his father was gone most of the time too. So his dad was working towards his degree in chemistry And so he was rarely home, leaving Jeff with his mom, who was neglecting him, basically. Um, Eventually, his mother becomes a big recluse. Um, We saw this happen. Who else did we see this happen with? Oh, my gosh. There's another killer, and I'm totally forgetting who it was. Oh, Paul Bernardo. I believe it was Paul Bernardo's mother. Yeah. Um, Name is her. She recedes to her bedroom. Um, She's on lots of medications. She's just kind of isolated herself off. She tries to overdose on all of her medications. So she does attempt suicide, which she fails. They get her to the hospital in time to save her. Um, he, Jeff was neglected. There was nothing specifically traumatizing in his childhood, like no major events, right? Like some people talk about these major events that happen. And I'm like, well, his entire upbringing is traumatizing. Like, there's a lot about his life that he was just surrounded by that was traumatizing him on the daily basis. And I would say a hernia surgery is a traumatizing event as well. So I wouldn't necessarily say there was nothing specifically, but I guess not a cataclysmic whatever event. Yeah. In so many words. Um, 
he would recede into his fantasy world, which we see a lot of time with serial killers, um, especially Edmund Kemper, especially when he was put in the basement. Um, he would just kind of create a world for himself that he felt safe in. And in 1966, when Jeff was six years old, they up and moved to Ohio. So at this point in life, his father is a chemist and he takes an interest, Jeff does, in dead animals. So there was a dead animal and there's an incident where his dad pulls a dead animal out from under the house. And Jeff is like, what is that? And his dad shows him how to bleach and rid the skin of the animal with bleach, with a bleach acid bath. So this is kind of where Jeff is essentially introduced to bleaching bones, getting rid of, like getting rid of the skin. And people like to take this moment in Jeff's development of like his dad's teaching him how to like bleach animal bones and like get rid of like use acids and bleach baths. And, um, and it's not long after that, that he develops an interest in taxidermy. Um, even though he never practiced it, like he did not practice it. He more so enjoyed taxidermy for the dead animals, uh, still looking very lively. And that probably intrigued him. So he liked taxidermy because he's like, oh, these are dead, but they look alive. And even though he like never did it as a hobby, so I'm trying to say, um, people like to take this moment, like, well, if his dad had never taught him this and I'm like, no, no. I don't think his dad teaching him something of how to like basically skin an animal is going to make him a serial killer because then you have to say every parent who takes their child hunting and teaches them how to like skin a deer, right. Their kid's going to be a serial killer. Like, no, I mean, sure. It may have taught him like the foundations of like what he ends up doing, but regardless, I think, you know, maybe he would have found another way or whatever. He still would have been a serial killer. Like you can't say like, that's the reason why. Right. I'm like, if, if he didn't know how to like bleach acid, wash bones, he just would have have a different way of disposing them. He just knew that this worked. And then he perfected a system over time that worked. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, um, he killed a dog, obviously there's no, but he killed a dog. I don't know who this dog was, but he killed a dog. Um, he took the animal bones and he bleached them. He was just doing his own thing. So now we're kind of seeing, the evolution and the escalation of his road to becoming a serial killer. Um, and he made a graveyard out by the shed of all the dead animals that he kept um, in the shed that would be, that would like leave skulls out. And he, and he was like trying to like prank people. So I think this is kind of where he doesn't really understand what he, what he is doing and what he's interested in is not normal. So of the dead animals that he's collected or killed, um, unsure, we just know that he did kill one dog. He bleaches the bones. He makes a little graveyard for them out by the shed that he works in. And then he would leave skulls out in like the, the foresty woody area where people would go to like shock the neighbors and like scare people. And like, he thinks it's like, ha ha, funny, I pranked you. But people are like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely, there's something... You know, you, you think about it too, like when children, you know, grow up and are going through their childhood years, how much of an impact things make on even just like their, like their social skills, you know, knowing the right and the wrong and socially what's acceptable versus not, you know, I mean, I personally have seen, I've seen that too in my life, you know, where it's like, I know somebody very close to me that because it didn't grow up the right way socially, 
like it affects them way into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time he's 14, again, like his dad's a chemist, his parents are not on good terms. So he doesn't have the perfect home life. He's receded into these fantasy worlds. He's become obsessed with killing things and like playing with the dead bodies, essentially. So by the age of 14, um, he begins to drink. Now, I can honestly say I had my first drink at 12 and I was partying at 14. So for me, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I had a crummy childhood too. So well, I can, I can relate to homeboy yeah. over there, but I like, I don't kill people. So I'm while some are like, that's crazy. And honestly it is, it's not good. I'm not bragging about it. I'm not saying you should yeah. drink at 14, but what I'm saying is it's not that shocking to someone who can understand maybe why he does it. Yeah. So he starts drinking at 14. Um, remember he's in high school. This is like the 19, late 1960s, 1970s at this point. Um, and he's drinking all throughout high school. Um, he's become known as like a class clown. Like he would like keep beer like in his locker and everything. And he would like just drink throughout his, his high school day. And like, nobody would tell him like no teachers would stop him. Like nobody fully gave a shit. Um, which I think is also a huge contributing factor. Like nobody gave a shit that he was hurting himself essentially because he would drink to excess and just like get drunk every single day. He was considered a class clown. Um, this is also in his life where he discovered he was gay. So he's at a point in American society where you don't just tell people you're gay. Um, he's drinking all the time. He's expressing this kind of stuff out of it at school as a class clown. I mean, he even had, he was even, it was even said that he, you're caught doing a Dahmer when you're being a class clown or like messing around, it's called doing a Dahmer or being a Dahmer or whatever. So that's kind of how Looney Tunes, he was class clowny. Um, it's also around this time after he discovered that he's gay, that he starts to have really violent thoughts mixed with sex. So his fantasies are advancing and warping and maturing as he's discovered his sexual identity. And then there's this jogger that he sees in his neighborhood. And this jogger, um, so for all of you joggers out there, because we all know how I feel about joggers, <laughs> you either are dead or you find the dead. Um, <laughs> if you don't want to become dead, don't take the same path. Just <laughs> you don't want to take the route. Change it up. Oh, it's great. I, that that's a great motto to have. I mean, great theories. And I'm like, I always like to tell people too. I'm like, you know, if you ever see me running, that is not a good sign. Not at all. It's for my life. <laughs> so yes, here is your the more you know moment, right? <laughs> if you're a jogger. Don't take the same path and don't do it consistently. Change up your path or change up when you run. Don't do yeah. a pattern because in this situation, Dahmer becomes infatuated with this jogger. He jogged the same route every day and Dahmer just like loves to watch him run. <laughs> and he became very attracted to this jogger. We and need to like make like a list, by the way, just a little off topic of Shannon and Darcy's tips on what not to do to get murdered. To How to, what, what should you not be doing? Hiking alone, jogging yeah, right. in the same patterns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So activities, a survival guide. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there is a book. I have a book. I think it's by my favorite murderer. It's like, um, 
the survival guide or survival guide of how to stay sexy and not get murdered a survival oh, guide I need that. like that they <laughs> I have that. <laughs> yeah it's great it's a wonderful wonderful read um so this jogger he becomes sexually attracted to this jogger he wants to in his own words he like just wanted to like hold him and um i think that comes from being deprived of any kind of parental like at least maternal love he was very much deprived of that especially when that's the only parental figure in his upbringing because his dad was really home um he's been denied a lot of any kind of physical intimacy in terms of like parental child love not like romantic intimacy anyway so he just like wants to like be in this jogger's presence what he doesn't really kind of work out is like he never really thought of like well what happens if i do like what happens if i accomplish this goal of getting the jogger in my hands like what do i do then he never really thought that far and so he decides one day that he's going to capture this jogger he doesn't want to hurt him he wants to like you know hold him a little bit so he devises this plan that he's going to hide in this bush and he's going to take a bath And he's going to hit this jogger in the head to knock him out. So, because he doesn't know how else to get this jogger's attention. So romantic. So romantic. <laughs> so, how did you meet? Well, uh, he smacked me in the head with that. So, knocked me out. I saw. Have you stars, read the article you know, um, of? And then <laughs> there he was when I awoke. Have you heard, have you read that article about the woman who married her kidnapper? Oh, God. That's like Stockholm Syndrome right there. Like, hardcore. Mm -hmm. That's disturbing. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. Yeah, it's wild. So, anyway, he hides in the bush, and then he chickens out. So, he runs away. He gets too scared. He doesn't do it. He gets the puppets to try it again, like, a week later. He's hiding in the bush. The jogger doesn't show up. The jogger actually like skipped his run that day. I can't remember what he said the reason was. Either he was like too tired or he just couldn't do it that day. But that that decision actually probably ended up like saving his life, to be honest. So after the jogger didn't show up, Dahmer got more freaked out. He's like, oh my God, this is probably a sign. Like, what am I doing? Like, I'm so crazy. And he just like runs away. And then like, he just like, never fucked the jogger again yeah that straight up was like and that was like no some idea. higher power some being some god was like no not this one no <laughs> no no other people need to see you jog. <laughs> <Go that way. laughs> so not long after this jeff's parents divorce so jeff is getting towards like his end of call end of high school years his parents divorce um and right before graduation, I think it's like literally the day of or the day before, Jeff is caught drinking by a teacher, a teacher that actually cares. Um, he's actually 18 at this point, And this teacher like sends him home and like doesn't let him walk, doesn't let him partake in his graduation ceremony or anything like that. Um, to which Jeff is like, what the fuck? Like, I, I've been doing this all four years and now suddenly somebody cares. But I don't think that this teacher had been there before or if they had really like interacted with Dahmer but they caught him drinking and so he was basically like but like get the fuck out right before his graduation so he wasn't 
able to be a part of graduation, which sucks for him. Um, it is said, I don't know if it's in my notes later on or not, but whatever. The What he ended up doing was he... Oh, it was after his... Um, he like snuck into photos. That's what it was. He would sneak into like different groups' photos. So like the the yearbook editing committee, like the newspaper, like different groups that he wasn't a part of. He would like just sneak into their photos. And in the yearbook, when the yearbook came out, um, they were like, "What the fuck?" And then especially after all of his crimes came out, like they went back. Oh, I'm sorry. Like when the yearbook came out, they actually like blacked his face out and like re- and like printed them and everything. So in that yearbook, where Jeffrey Dahmer is standing, there's just like black scribble. So he's actually wow, like, that's intense. Yearbook. Like that, that's taking it to another level. Yeah. So um, they talk about that in one of these documentaries, but I don't know if he talks about it. I think he talks about it, but I don't know if it's in my notes later on. But there's just a little <clears throat> not so fun fact for you. So his parents are divorced. He's kicked out of graduation. Um, his mother and his little brother, because he has a little brother, they move, they move in somewhere else. Um, his father moved away and Jeff is left completely alone in their family house. So he was really upset. Um, I think they, they show it a little bit in the series on Netflix where it's like, he wanted to go with them, but his mother wouldn't take him. Like she only took like his little brother and he never really understood like why that that happened. Um, it was because it was like she didn't want him. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he gets separated from his little brother. Now, the funny thing is here, his dad has no idea that he's at the house alone. His dad has remarried at this point. He has a new wife. And, um, I don't, well, it's fine. We'll get to it later. But anyway, he remarries. He has a new life. He has a new family. And he has no idea that his son is just home alone in their family house. He thought that he, when they split, um, that the three of them would stay together and he would just go to somewhere else. So he has no idea that Dahmer is left alone in the house. And he's, this is kind of where everything just gets to spiral and he gets to just kind of like do whatever he wants. And, um, I think is a treat because we're kind of like at the end of part one. I'm just going to cover his first murder because his first murder takes place in this house. Um, and it's kind of like a big deal. So we'll cover his first murder and then we'll move on uh, to the, the rest of the murders in next week's episode. So he's drinking all the time. He doesn't have a job. Um, his uh, he, He's getting money from his parents somehow. I think his dad's like sending him money and things for like the summer. And he is just bored. Basically, he has like no friends, he has like, no social life. And one day he's just out driving around and he sees a guy hitchhiking. And this guy was Stephen Hicks. He was 19 years old and this is June of 1978. So this guy is hitchhiking and he's like, he's attractive. So he picks him up and Stephen is like, yeah, I'm going to this rock show, I'm going to this concert. My car broke down. I'm trying to get there. Um, can you take me to the concert? And he's like, oh, what concert is it? They figure out that the concert's not for like a couple of hours. So he's like, do you want to just come back to my place and drink a little beer, hang out before the show, and then I'll just drop you off at the venue later? He's like, sure, dude, that sounds great to me. So they go back to Dahmer's house. They're getting really, really wasted. Um, and then Steven's like, all right, really, it's time to go. Like, I, I got to get to this concert and all this kind of stuff. 
And um, oh, my microphone has been down there this entire time. Well, we'll finish this part one and hope for the best. Um, he's trying to stop him from leaving. He attempts to make a pass at Steven and Steven's like, whoa, bro, like I have a girlfriend, like she's meeting me there. Like I have people that are expecting me. And Dahmer panics because he like doesn't want him to leave. Um, and so he decides to hit him over the head with a 10 pound dumbbell and essentially knocks Steven out. So Steven's out cold. Dahmer doesn't know what to do. He's like, uh, he's like, I just wanted him to stay. And he says that in, uh, in some of his interviews, like I just wanted him to stay and he like wouldn't stay. So he knocks him out and then he doesn't know what to do. So he strangles him, um, because he didn't want him to leave him. So he's like, I didn't want him to leave. I wanted him to stay there. And he, so he strangles him to death and he finds that really hot. And he's just killed somebody, strangles him to death. So what does he do? Uh, he masturbates on his body. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know how quickly from that process will, but yeah, I mean, like, continue. And then again, like, there it is, like, you know, because of that growing up, you know, like, look, his mom just left him, like, his dad gone, like, people are so, he's so used to people just leaving that there again, there's that trigger. And so, like, the guy just wanted to leave. And it's like, in his brain, it's just like, he doesn't have the normal thought processes. It takes everything to the extreme. So then he's like, you can't leave, you know? Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, he talks about that like a lot. He's like the, a lot of the murders that he does because he doesn't want these people to leave. He wants them to stay with him forever. And so the leaving part is a trigger for him. And it's, you'll see that throughout the rest of his, his spree. So what does he do? He takes Steven's body and he stuffs him into a drainage pipe um, in the basement, but he got really nervous that that wasn't going to work and it would smell. So he decides to dismember his body instead. So he dismembers Steven's body and he stuffs it into trash bags, right? This is nothing new for him. He's done this with animals all the time. So he has no problem doing it. So he then attempts to dump his body, the dump, but is pulled over in the process of driving to said dump in like the middle of the night. It's like late, it, it, like no reason for him to be out. The police driver pulls him over and he's like, this is it, I'm gonna get arrested. They're gonna find a dismembered man <laughs> in these trash bags in the back seat of my car and I'm gonna go to jail. So what does he tell the police? He tells the police that he's taking the trash out for his parents since his mom asked, but they started fighting and he found that that wasn't a good time to like take the trash out. Um, and this was enough of a story and he put on enough of a show that he was just let off with a warning. Um, and this got him really, really spooked. It, like it spooked him out so much that he actually drove back to the house <laughs> with, with the trash bags and he put his body into like, I guess like crock pots, not crock pots, like stew pots, big, big pots, um, of acid and let everything dissolve. And then he scattered his bones around the woods. Um, during this whole disposal process and decomposition process, um, he did keep some of his flesh in a baggie and he buried it like in the family crawl space. Oh, wow. Which 
He never took with him when he left the house. Cringy. So cringy. Like that. Wow. Mm hmm. Yeah. So he would he would not kill again for nine years. So he kills Stephen, and this is enough to satiate him for the next nine years. During this period of Jeff just being left to do whatever he wants in his house, his father actually comes back to the house to visit. And then he's, he discovers that Jeff's been left alone this entire time. Um, he enrolls him in a college. Uh, Jeff eventually drops out of college. And his father and stepmother convince him to join the army, which he is quickly discharged from because of his drinking problem. He asks to be dropped in Miami. So when he's discharged from the military, he's like, I can't tell my dad. He'll be so disappointed in me and so angry. So he asks them to just drop him in Miami. Well, he stays in Miami for a little bit. Doesn't really work out. Can't really hold down the job. He needs to go back home. He needs money. So he calls his dad and eventually moves back um, home to Ohio um, to stay with his dad. The one thing I can say about Lionel, it's interesting to see the interviews with his dad. because Lionel really cared for Jeffrey. Like, he really loves his son. He tried really hard, even though, like, you know, he had his own faults in Jeffrey's upbringing of, like, not being present, not being there. But all in all, he really did love his son. And um, he really wanted the best life for him. And Jeff, when he talks about his upbringing, he doesn't put any blame on his parents. He says, he takes full responsibility for everything that he's done. His parents did nothing wrong, that they loved him. Um, it's just really, it's a really interesting moment because there is a documentary where they both actually are being interviewed together. So it's it's pretty interesting uh, to see their both perspectives. But Lionel harbors so much resentment towards his ex-wife and himself. Um, and to a degree, he takes his own responsibility in Jeff's turning out. So it's just really interesting to see all of that play out because you don't see that a lot. But anyway. So he moves back to Ohio, but it's not long after he moves back that he's arrested. Um, He's arrested for being drunk and exposing himself to a bunch of women and children at a local fair. Um, His parents, so his dad and his stepmom, feel that his grandmother might be able to help him better. So they send him back to Milwaukee to live with her. So while he's under her care, he begins attending church. Uh, and he goes with her and he even gets a job at a chocolate factory and things seem to be looking up until one day at a library. Dun, dun, dun. But I love libraries. Don't ruin them for me. Yeah. No, what happens is it seems that Jeffrey's on the up and up. He's quit drinking. His grandmother is a really big influence in his life. He's going to church. He's working at his new job. It seems like everything is going fine. Everyone's happy for him. He's he's happy for himself. Well, he's at this library just minding his own business. This dude, like, lo- like slips a note, like, next to him and just, like, walks away. Like, just a note. And when Jeff reads the note, the note told him to meet him in the bathroom. And... Yeah, he's like, meet me in the bathroom. And he freaks out. I think he said, like, meet me in the bathroom for a blowjob. I can't remember if the blowjob part was in there or if it was just, like, meet me in the bathroom. But this freaks Jeff out because it spirals him back into these old fantasies that he was having. His dark fantasies never went away, by the way. Just so everybody's aware, they actually never went away. He's just gotten really good at suppressing them because he's been confined in an environment that didn't give him a reason 
to be triggered. And this just reminded him of, like, mm-hmm. this is who you are. Like, you're gay. Well, yeah. And, and the fact that, like, hated that. you know, was trying hated to go, that. you know, do the whole church thing and stuff like that. So I take it then at this point, nobody really knows that he's gay. No. Yeah. No one so has any idea that he's gay. For somebody to have been able to pick up on that with him. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that just, like, shook him. Or maybe it was just a dude that thought he was hot and, like, shot his shot. Well, yeah, and, like, that's very that's very probable. But, if like, he's in gay, Jeff's maybe. mind, he's like, oh, my God, how do you know I was gay? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, probably. So he starts to drastically spiral back into old <sighs> habits after this. So... Nine years, he was doing so good for nine years, just pretending to, he was pretending to present this fake life to people. So that's where we're going to pause part one of the Jeffrey Dahmer series. (laughs) Thanks. Um, So I will say, um, because I cited my source at the top of this episode, uh, next episode, it's going to get really graphic, really detailed really gory um so if you don't want to be a part of that maybe don't watch it maybe don't listen to it um i will give a trigger warning at the top of the next episode as well but there will be there's death of minors in here as well so just keep that in mind um it may be a sensitive episode to listen to but there will be timestamps if you're watching on youtube or listening on youtube so you can kind of skip around um or just skip to the end when he's arrested if you don't want to hear the bulk of the the murders themselves. Um, so yeah, that's part one. Um, thank you guys so much for being here and we will see you on the next one. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.